Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, humans can transmit avian influenza to birds. That message from Dr. Susan Detmer, an associate professor with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. The Saskatchewan government made the move to restrict the movements of birds, including pet birds and falcons, and to refrain from taking birds to shows to reduce the risk that they could pick up, transmit, or spread the virus. She'll talk Talk about how the receptors are only in the lower respiratory tract for humans, so the chance of getting it is limited, but caution still needs to be exercised. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, traffic accidents involving livestock pose big challenges for first responders. Trent Catley is the director of Saskatchewan Agriculture's Emergency Response and Inspection Unit. He helps producers, drivers, emergency responders and animal health specialists confidently prepare and respond to livestock transport emergencies in an organized and safe manner. With his over 30 years experience in enforcement and emergency response and including 18 years in the fire service, Trent has developed a livestock handling course for volunteer firefighters. After the break, Susan Detmer. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Susan Detmer is an associate professor with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon. Uh, Dr. Detmer, avian influenza is in the news and we talk about how easily it can spread. We have heard about how it can be transmitted, not just between birds, but humans present a greater risk of transmitting avian influenza than even pigs do. So tell us, first of all, what's happening now? Well, Influenza is actually experiencing an upswing in activity in Canada at this time. It's just been happening over the last month and a half. We actually had very limited influenza activity for the 2020 and 2021 flu season. So this was also true for the other respiratory pathogens such as the common cold. So it wasn't just influenza that went away. But we attributed that to the lockdowns and all the restrictions we had in place. So there were less respiratory viruses going around entirely. Uh, with the United States, they actually started to see more influenza activity in the fall. And if you remember, I've said before, there's two peaks with both swine influenza and human influenza. We see a, a peak in the fall of activity and a peak in the spring or late winter. So around November, December, we usually see a peak of activity. And in February, March, we usually see a second peak each flu season. In Canada, we did not have the fall peak. They did have it in the United States. The United States also had the late winter, early spring peak. We didn't have that just over the last six weeks. We've seen this upswing in activity, which has actually impacted people under the age of 44 more than we normally see. Normally, there's older adults are more susceptible as well as the children under four. So 20% almost of the activity is attributed to children under four who during the pandemic for the last two years have seen very few uh, influenza or other viruses. 
And so they're much more susceptible than they, they would be otherwise. And also we have all the people that are working out in the public and interacting with others. So people under 44 are also spreading influenza. The activity is actually mostly around the borders. So the southern Alberta is where most of the activity is, as well as Ontario in the southern part of Ontario and Quebec, where you see the border entries to the United States that are are very um, commonly crossed and more movement activity anyway. So with that, it's important to note that we do have the same virus as the United States is seeing. The United States has almost 100 percent Uh, over the last few months has been H3N2. And so there's two strains that we're looking at for H3N2, and it's 2A2 and 2A1. The strain that we're seeing is 2A2, and the strain in the vaccine is 2A1. So they're genetically similar, but they're different enough that the vaccine has less protection than what we would like to see. So in Canada, they actually checked um, the cross-reactivity to vaccine serum, and it's about 18% cross-reactive. So what are we seeing in terms of influenza on the animal agriculture front? So right now, we are seeing an avian influenza outbreak. This is a high path avian influenza, which does actually make chickens very sick. And um, it is a a disease that we are very concerned about for poultry and other birds. We have been, um, there have been a number of requests that even pet birds and falcons be limited for their travel and that people not bring birds to shows and um, have movements of birds right now uh, from a veterinary perspective because they could transmit and pick up the avian influenza and spread it around um, the province. And so we're, we're watching that activity. Uh, A lot of people are concerned about pigs. Um, There have been a a limited number of cases where avian influenza has gotten into pigs, but we have very good biosecurity measures on hog farms in Canada and the United States. And with those, if we keep those measures up, we know that we don't have to be too concerned because um, the way that pigs actually get avian influenza. The receptors are only in the lower respiratory tract, and it's the same case for humans. So the humans that are going on the farms with avian influenza are just as likely as a pig that walked on that farm, which a pig wouldn't, (laughs) to get influenza. So that is something that is important to note. Both pigs and humans have the receptor for avian influenza, but it is deep inside the lung. So the chance of it getting in there is very limited. They don't have the receptor in their upper respiratory tract. So there's differences between mammalian and avian influenzas. The mammalian influenzas are the 
alpha-2-6 receptor, whereas the avian is the alpha-2-3 receptor. And because of those differences and where the receptors for influenza are in the respiratory tract, it's a very limited case scenario um, where the in several outbreaks of avian influenza, there have been so few cases that have transmitted. The people that are working with these birds that are potentially infected are actually having to wear a, a large amount of protective equipment because it is potentially lethal if they get it. Because those receptors are so deep in the lung, they're susceptible to a very severe pneumonia. What are the biosecurity recommendations for pork producers as a result of these risks? So the the biggest risk is migrating birds. And because the migrating birds can go from site to site. Uh, chickens don't leave the farm typically, and uh, pigs don't leave the farm on their own. Uh, so for biosecurity, for the most part, we have buildings that are secure, that are closed, that have screens on the windows. Uh, wild birds cannot get in, so that is something to to worry about. Um, so most of the farmers, if they have a hole where birds are getting in, that's something that they, they usually will want to uh, find those holes and make sure that they keep out wild birds um, so that they can limit the chance of an animal coming in that has it. About 20 years ago, the pigs were defamed as a potential mixing vessel for avian flu to turn it into some virus that would get into humans. And it's important to note that humans and pigs have the same receptors in the same locations throughout the respiratory tract. And Pigs do not usually come in contact with birds, but humans do. And so we need to be more concerned about whether or not the humans are protected properly and preventing zoonotic transmission in those cases. Thank you, Susan. Uh, Susan Detmer is, is an associate professor with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. After the break, Trent Catley shares some insights on dealing with livestock transportation emergencies. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Trent Catley is the director of Saskatchewan Agriculture's Emergency Response and Inspection Unit. And today we're going to be talking about safe handling of livestock in the event of a transportation emergency. So first of all, Trent, it's not common, but it can pose a serious safety threat for animals and for the people handling them. I have heard, you know, for the pork industry, there's over 300,000 animals shipped each year to market. If you look at the beef cows, there's over a million beef cows in Saskatchewan. So just on the assumption that most of those will be having a calf, those calves will have to go to a feedlot or market at some point. So we're talking in excess of a million animals will be moved each year on Saskatchewan highways or roads. It'll be either commercial truckers in your larger trailer units, right down to the small producer who might only have one or two animals with his little truck and trailer going down the road. 
you know, it can occur any time, any place, because there's recreational activities such as rodeos and that that involve livestock. But there will be peak seasons, especially with the livestock and the cattle industry in the fall, you know, when they're weaning calves or pulling them off pastures or shipping them to feedlots, shipping them to markets, that sort of thing. So there will be spikes in that. As far as how often do these emergencies happen? Fortunately, not very often. Maybe I would guess you could count on one hand, probably, you know, five or less each year. And that's part of the reason, you know, we need training like this is because they don't happen very often. So it's not something people, you know, think of preparing for or planning for. So first of all, what is the first step following a livestock transportation emergency? Almost all fire departments in Saskatchewan are dispatched by the same 911 centre. So the first responders are going to be your fire department. You know, they're there to secure the scene if it's a motor vehicle collision, rollover, fire, that sort of thing. So they're there to secure the scene, you know, uh, stabilize the incident and to prevent the emergency from continuing. Then that's where their knowledge or skill set for the most part will finish. And that they'll still be there to support the scene, but then dealing with the animals, because that's not something they deal with, you know, or even equipped to deal with that sort of thing. So that's where they're going to have to call another subject matter experts, you know, and that's where the producers or the different associations, whatever, um, they can step up and they'll need to be involved to come to the site to help support the fire department, you know, for responding and dealing with those animals that are involved in the response. So obviously you're going to have a lot of different groups on scene, so coordination, I would imagine, is going to be really important. You know, and just when you have all these different parties working together, and it could be on a major highway like the Trans-Canada Highway, so you have a lot of other traffic going by. So you need to make sure the response is coordinated so that everyone on scene can be safe. You know, police are going to be on scene dealing with traffic. If it was a serious incident, you might have EMS on scene to deal with, you know, if there's injuries and the people in the accident and that sort of thing. So it all needs to be coordinated so you can have an effective, safe response. You want to make sure that the animals are dealt with in a humane welfare manner, you know, so timeliness for that, uh, just the timeliness of tying up your resources, your emergency responders on scene. You want to do it in a safe, quick fashion so that they can be put back in service. And, you know, it's uh, roadway could be closed, so it's impeding other people, you know, truck traffic, you know, tourists, that sort of things on the highway. So you also want to consider the timeliness just to get the roads opened up again. Trent Catley is the Director of Emergency Response with the Livestock Branch for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. This is the Agriculture News and Review for the week of May 23, 2022. A new $19 million project will see the commercialization of new micronutrient fertilizer. Solios is the fertilizer created from the upcycling of pea, lentil and oat hulls, co-products from food processing. The project includes the installation of new manufacturing process for the production of Solios in Rosetown, Saskatchewan, that when completed will produce up to 6,500 tonnes per year of fertiliser and create 25 jobs. Protein Industries Canada, AGT Food and Ingredients, Lucent Biosciences and Aberhart Egg Solutions are involved in the project. As the weather warms, Russia is using wheat rather than energy to try and end economic sanctions imposed after the invasion of Ukraine. Marlena Borsch with Mercantile Consulting Ventures said Russia refused a UN request for export corridors for Ukrainian wheat shipments. She said if the war continues, 
much of the Ukrainian crop will be lost to world trade and global crop production will suffer from the lack of fertilizer supplies. Borsch added the war could be lengthy because Russia wants to retain Crimea and Donbass and Ukraine said it will not agree to giving up territory. Experts say this year's crop could be the most expensive in history. Canadian farmers are dealing with fertilizer costs that have more than doubled from last year, while diesel and gasoline are soaring, as are the prices of seed, equipment and herbicides. Inflation, the war in Ukraine and pandemic-related supply chain challenges are some of the reasons behind the spiking costs. Global prices for crops like wheat, barley and canola are also skyrocketing. That means farmers still have the chance to make a profit but the high cost of inputs means they'll need to produce good yields and avoid drought and flooding. Farm Credit Canada is offering some financial support to cattle customers who are certified for sustainability production. Curtis Granger is with FCC. He said the standards revolve around five principles, including natural resources, people and community, animal health, food and innovation. The certification program involves an ongoing audit process with its partners to ensure operations are meeting its sustainability standards. The federal government has announced a new round under its Agricultural Clean Technology Program. One of the projects is with a B.C. company called Terramera. It is working on a way to provide more consistent and precise measurement of soil carbon. Travis Good is the chief technical officer. He said measurements will also include nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. The announcement was made at the Terramera facility in Vancouver. The shortage of infant formula in the U.S. was causing a lot of concern in Canada as well. Most infant formula is made with cow's milk that has been altered to resemble breast milk. Soybean formulas are also an option for babies who are intolerant or allergic to cow's milk formula or to lactose. U.S. military transports ferried more than 35,000 kilograms of prescription-grade formula into the U.S. from Europe, with more shipments on the way. The shortage was triggered by the shutdown in February of a key plant in Michigan, but international trade experts say the real issue is that the U.S. industry is controlled by only a handful of major players. The Mennonite Disaster Service was able to help a lot of cattle producers through its Hay West program. It provided surplus hay from Ontario to drought-stricken prairie producers last fall and during the winter. Ike Epp is with Disaster Service Saskatchewan. He says 56 producers in Saskatchewan received hay support. He said the problem was bigger than they could address, but those who received hay appreciated the efforts. The total cost of the project was $345,000. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.